The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my Sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my Sparkfile. I jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the spark file, your one stop collect them all for creative inspiration. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're joining us for the first time, you're so welcome. If you're joining us for the 44th time, you are also so welcome. You might be asking yourself, what exactly is a spark file? Where do I get one? What do I file in it? These are good questions. We've got answers. A spark file is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations. And fascination. But listen to me, here's the deal. <laughs> we, we are makers who make all kinds of things. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time, or if you just want to be making stuff all the time, yeah. you know that the wellspring of inspiration can run a little dry. So we're on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity, things that inspire us to get up off of our asses and make things like this very podcast. Or a creative space or gathering place designed for ideas and inspiration to blossom. Huh. Hmm. Or a whole life with creativity and laughter and hard work and activism flowing straight through the middle of it. Oh, every episode we're going <laughs> to seem upset. <laughs> I know. I didn't mean for that to take a downward turn. Oh. So... <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you might just discover a deeper truth. So without further ado, let's open up the, the spark, spark file. Camion. Blackwell. I think, it's, I think we just need to bring the listener in on the fact that <laughs> we, don't, we don't typically, am I wrong? We don't typically record this late. <laughs> By this late. Well, I'm embarrassed to say how this late. It's yes, 1 a.m. it's 1 a.m. We don't usually no, turn on the recorder. No, I guess I'm wrong. Uh, we sometimes why, have, but you know Why does it seem what? like it's the middle of the night? We're strung out <laughs> and exhausted and loopy as a result, which yeah. I think, you We've know We've been what? very busy. Who hasn't? Yeah, who hasn't? It's the holidays. We all We are. just got through the holidays. Everybody's... <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. Where are we and what, what are we doing? It? Anyway, we're a little loop-de-loo, but we're going to go with it. We're you know riding what? the loop-de-loo wave. That's right. That's right. Love us as hate we us. are. We <laughs> Love don't us care. Hate us as we are. This is what you've got. Um, Deal with it. <laughs> Blackwell. Cams. We talk a lot. I'm jumping right in to my spark. Huh. Can I just Sorry. say this to you? Yeah. Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year to you, too. Unless and we seriously. release this at a different time than then the, the new year. Happy February. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to all you listeners, happy, happy, happy new, new Year. year. Um, you were going to say. Well, I was going to say, I'm jumping right into my spark. Great. Um, and what I wanted to say is that we talk a lot about ideas 
on this podcast. We do. Obviously. <laughs> we do. Um, and, and specifically the free exchange of ideas and the fearless exchange of ideas. I think we both believe that ideas are everywhere if you keep your eyes open, keep your mind open. And one of our goals is to create a community of supportive makers and creators who want to discuss and share ideas Love and inspiration. Absolutely. Correct. Correct Amundo. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. Did the Fonz used to say that? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the Fonz. Correct Amundo. So back in the day, Suze Long before podcasts, one of the ways that people might have shared ideas and thoughts is through a salon. What was called a salon? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard of salons, right? One hundred percent. I may have attended a salon or two. Right? Am I right? So the thing is, if you don't know, a salon is a gathering of people, but it is more than a party. Per se, it's more than like a, din- a casual dinner party. Yeah. It is specifically intended to entertain and educate the participants of a salon. I am yes. already so excited about this. Oh, part. really? Yes. Oh, Suze, thanks. What a this is great. Well, I hope it fulfills every <laughs> expectation. Um, thanks. That got me excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so if you were invited to a salon back in the day, yeah. you would absolutely attend with the assumption that you were going to learn something new. You were going to share ideas and opinions and discuss the most recent cultural developments. And the discussion would have some structure to it. Like there might be some debating. It wasn't just a free for all. It wasn't like a cocktail party, mm-hmm. you know, um, but people gathered to truly share ideas and listen to other people's ideas. Mm. You may not know, salons date back to the 16th century. Which is the 1500s. Yes, yes, Susan. I must seem like a complete moron to no, people. I just get no. the numbers confused. I'm no, not, it's easy to. I'm not highly enumerate. It's, it's easy to. I'm more to. of a sparks kind of gal. <laughs> <laughs> got tons of sparks. <laughs> anyway, you got that. 16th century, which Fif- is the 1500s. 1500s. And they began in Italy, but... From there, hmm. they really took off in France. So I was a lot say, of sources will say France. Salons, yeah. I think of the French. Mm-hmm. That is correct. A lot of people will say France is where they started, but um, some people in Italy might uh, debate that. But mm-hmm. really, they became very popular in France for several hundred years, and they enjoyed their heyday. They were a key component of the Age of Enlightenment. As that's not a big surprise, the Age of Enlightenment Sounds is basically so the 1700s, essentially, which are the, the 1700s, 1700s, which is amazing. That's so, um, <laughs> I don't know, that's a really smart way of, of naming them. Thank you. Um, but the Age of Enlightenment was a big, uh, it was a time of big ideas, big advancements in science. Mm-hmm revolutions happened in both France and the United States. Mm. Um, But salons have continued to play an important role in cultural dialogue throughout the years. Thomas Jefferson was famous for curating an eclectic group of people over for dinner. And um, now there's a, there's a movement to sort of call them Jeffersonian dinners. 
Um, but he would invite an eclectic group of people over and then insist that they would all have one conversation, which meant interesting like, instead of like, we're talking about what are you, where are you vacationing? And we're talking mm-hmm. about everybody. There's one conversation. That's right. And is there right. like a talking stick or a talking gravy boat that's being passed I don't to know, keep but the I focus? I hope there was a gravy boat. I hope there I was hope a so. silver talking gravy boat. Yeah, that would be so Jefferson, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1920s, Gertrude Stein was famous for having salons. People like Picasso would drop mm. in and and participate in her salons. In the 1960s, Andy Warhol had the factory, which was kind of a hybrid of like salon and studio and party room. Interesting. You know, but it definitely was a place for ideas Mm -hmm. and creativity to be exchanged. Fun fact, the origins of Blue Man Group began in the late 1980s with informal salons. There were like 10 or 15 friends and they would get together to discuss books and ideas and eventually that led to a desire to like take action. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever knew that origin story. Really? No. They would take, they would take a book and literally like rip up the book so that you take this chapter, you take this chapter, you take this chapter, and then like circle up and report in on your chapter. Interesting. It's a different way of taking in information. That's a book club right there. Um, that but, is a spin on a book club. Right. But then they would, you know, after gathering for a while, then they wanted to really like take to the streets. Take to the streets. Yeah. They created that character and then literally started to um, see how that character would interact with people or how people would interact with, with him. Hmm. So it all started with a salon. There's a lot of people who believe that we're in we're at the beginning of a new era of salons, which is really interesting because now ideas can be shared so freaking quickly yes. with the internet. Yes. And whereas back when salons started, it was like a necessity. If you wanted to know about the advancements in science or mathematics or astrology or what have you, you had to make an effort to get out there and have conversations. Yeah. yeah. But now we don't really need that. But the hypothesis is that what people are craving is the human contact. Sure. So we can have access to ideas now, but we are craving being among people, discussing, sharing thoughts in real time. You know, getting instant feedback, uh, ping-ponging an idea back and forth with someone I you feel, can't do so much. I will say that as you're saying that this, having this with you, where <laughs> we just get to like throw an idea in the air and just uh, volley it back and forth yeah. is one of the great joys of my life. Yay! You know, it really does something Me good too. for my brain. Me too. So I can understand why people would crave it if you don't have it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I'm going to talk more about that very idea in a little while. Yeah. Because I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, but the downside is that salons are typically invite only. Yeah. And the group of people is curated by the host Mm -hmm. and there are groups of people who know each other or maybe they can bring a person in who offers a new perspective. Um, But it's typically kind of a closed circle. Yeah. You can plan your own salon, which is awesome, and I'd be in full support of it. Mm -hmm. But it's not exactly like you can say on a random Saturday night, like, I feel like attending a salon. Right. Where's everybody right. at? You know? That's right. 
So throughout history, people have endeavored to create spaces that would encourage the gathering of people, both friends and strangers alike, to inspire them, entertain, engage, educate, and and encourage conversation and dialogue, right? It could be the theater, it could be museums, or even a world fair, like the World Expo. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The first World Expo, which I'm a little bit obsessed with just because... Um, because I learned about it, Prince Albert um, <laughs> advocating for it. I don't know, such a weirdo. <laughs> wow. Anyway, niche. I'm a weirdo, totally niche. But um, the World Expo was held in 1851 in London, and it was called the Great Exhibition of the Works of Industry of All Nations. That just rolls right off the tongue. Ooh, a bit of a mouthful <laughs> there. But it was branding, a- branding. <laughs> It was a lofty idea, and it was a passion project of Prince Albert, like I said. He was the husband of Queen Victoria. From what I know about it, I'm going off-road here mm-hmm. for a second, but, you know, Queen Victoria was very popular and accomplished a lot in her life, and we the Victorian age, yep. obviously. But there were times when Prince Albert felt like he wasn't contributing enough, and he had a lot to offer. Hmm. And one of his passions was... Um, industry and science and mathematics. And so pulling this huge expo together for the first time when people thought he was crazy and what the hell is he doing that for? Um, But he didn't. They thought thought it was Yieldy Fire Festival. And he was like, no, this is is too legit to quit. (laughs) That's right. Quote Saint No Fire Festival. (laughs) So, yeah. So he, um, the intention was to show progress in architecture and engineering and industry. And of course, the not so secret agenda was to showcase the progress made in England specifically. Got it. um, And to show themselves as the leader of industry. Many, many, many people thought that he was crazy, but he really wanted this event to be accessible to everyone, even the working class. Mm -hmm. So they had like Charles Darwin, Charlotte Bronte, Charles Dickens, Alfred Tennyson, and more mingling with the common people. Really? That's right. They're taking in ideas and marveling at the work of people from around the world. In the end, like 6 million people, equivalent to like, a third of the entire population of Britain at that time visited this great exhibition. Can you imagine, though, this was before all of this sort of exposure to things and information was readily available? That's right. To have it all brought together and served to you in one place must have been amazing. I mean, I think mind-blowing for people. Yeah. And that was worth a trip. Yeah. Yeah. And he really succeeded at it. Um, The average daily attendance was 42,000 people. Jeez. That's right. It was a big, wow, big, 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 big. So today, in order to mingle among luminaries, you might consider going to like the Aspen Ideas Forum or you might go to the annual TED conference mm. to listen to scientists and artists and activists and entrepreneurs who've come together to share ideas. Again, not incredibly accessible to everyone. You know? That's right. That's a pricey ticket. Yep. And a trip wherever they're, you know, to Aspen or wherever they're having uh, Vancouver, I think, for, for TED. And... It, and I don't even know if you can get a ticket if you want to. So again, it's like very um, 
um, exclusive. Exclusive. Yeah. yeah. Recently, I had the opportunity to attend a pre-opening event for a new space with similar goals. I think Prince Albert would approve. Um, it's a very accessible. It truly invites people in to do more than just see art. They've designed the entire space to inspire thought and discussion mm. and collaboration. It's called Photographiska. Mm. It's in New York City. Mm-hmm. This is its second outpost, but they have plans for many, many more. Where, the next one's going to be in London. Where's number one? Um, the number, the first one was created in Stockholm. Sweden. Oh, mm-hmm. Photographiska. Photographiska. And it's by two brothers, Jan and Per Broman. And it was such a huge success that they're opening in many other cities now. Wow. In New York City, they occupy six floors of a historical landmark building. Oh, my building God. We're Park Avenue South. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's right. And you can expect like 20, 25 exhibitions per year. <gasps> but first of all, wow. it's not a museum, which is really interesting because... It seems like it. Like they have these photography. You might say, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's a mu- museum it's of photography." Like a giant gallery, or kind of. But, but there's can't. different things on every floor. Okay. Um, but they don't have a permanent collection, mm-hmm. and their hours are like from nine a.m. to midnight or one a.m. There's stuff going on all the time. So the space includes these these photography installations, but also a restaurant, a really cool event space for like intimate concerts, live podcast recordings. Hello. Hello. Um, events that connect with the installations. There's a speakeasy type of bar. There's a coffee shop, a gift shop, of course. What do they call it if it's not a museum and it's, it's not exactly cultural, a, ga- a cultural, cultural center? center um, a creative escape. A salon. A salon. Oh. That's what I would say. Wow. I would say. So the whole feel of it is incredibly welcoming. Um, and you can see, like you can see photography masters and filmmakers discussing, you know, lenses and saturation and perspective and everything related to their art form. But you also see people of all types responding emotionally and creatively to all that moves them. So you don't have to be like a professional photographer or photographer adjacent. Nope. Nope. Or art world adjacent. You can just go... And take it in. That's right. And the goal of Photographiska is to show the best photography in the world, for sure, but to also focus on diversity, inclusion, Mm. and social issues. Interesting. So, I decided I was going to give you just a small taste, like a two-minute, two-minute taste of just sparks that I that I captured while I Great. was there on my quick, I love quick it. visit. Spark salad. Spark Hashtag salad. Spark salad. Yes. So I just want to illustrate just how chock full of sparks this trip was. Okay. So I started, you start on the sixth floor and up there, that is an event space with this. It's, it's the installation up there is these like incredible rock concert, rock history photographs. Oh, but the space is all like woodsy. It's all wood and windows, and it feels like an attic. Like there's because there's beams, and you can see the rafters up above that's open up there. So it feels like an attic when there's not something going on. You can sit and read a book. You can, there's a a bar there for coffee during the day, drinks at night. You can bring your computer, hang out. It's like, do you pay admission to get into the building? 
To go up into these yeah. floors, yes, but there's several floors that don't require. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Neat. exactly. It's so it's so cool. So my mind was spinning with all the things that could happen in that room, including a live recording of the Spark file. Hello. Hello. Um, but I have seen, just by the nature of my jobs over the years, I've seen many, many event spaces yeah, in New York City. Of course. And this one is really, really, really special. Neat. I, it's, I just can't wait for you to see it. Um, all right. So then one floor down. Fifth floor was super sexy photographs by Ellen von Unworth. Oh. These are dazzling. Fashion photography? They are, yes, glossy, yeah. high fashion, but but sex. Like, oh. do you remember Madonna's sex book? Sure. Kind of of that ilk. Got it. Um, they were super sexy, yes. Gave me all the tingly feelings that go along with sexy photos. But also, it made me th- smile. It made me laugh. I would turn a corner and just start laughing because they were so playful and fun. Wow. And that floor, I think, made me think about how differently sex is represented when a female is behind <sighs> the camera. Sure. Even for sec- quote-unquote sexy photographs um, versus a male. So it was very powerful and very playful. So that's... um. Total that floor was a total spark. spark salad. Spark salad. Next floor down featured photographs by Helene Schmitz, thinking like a mountain. And these were images of land. I like the name of that. Right? Thinking like a mountain. Yeah. These were images of land ravaged by human beings, <sighs> like absolutely gorgeous landscapes. And then you look closer and you see what we've done to Ugh, those landscapes. Woes. She got me thinking about how the most beautiful places in the world are also often the most valuable to industry. Mm. She showed these pipelines and digs and described them and the fo- and photographed them as open wounds on earth. Ugh. It was amazing when you think about it like that. Sparked, fucking sparked. I also learned about a plant called kudzu. Do you oh. know what this is? Oh, yeah. Did you know? Had you not had that missed you, Katsu? Well, I think it vaguely, but I didn't know the whole story. Uh, you yeah. know where it comes from? It, was it from China? No, it was from Japan. Japan, sorry. So it was a plant that was given to the United States on our 100th birthday from Japan. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And it was meant to be a lovely gift yeah. because it's known for its vitality and <laughs> beautiful flowers. It, is, it has vitality, that it does. But it also grows like crazy and it spread across the south it, so rapidly it killed all other plant life. It's great when you drive, I, I guess I know of it because I've spent some time driving through the south and as you're driving the highways where kudzu has infested, that's right. it I bet you saw photo. Did you see photographs of it? Oh, it, yeah. It covers everything. Yes. It covers telephone poles. It covers yes. other trees. It Houses. Covers, it covers it can- everything. So it, everything starts looking like topiary. That's right. It looks like the shapes, like you can see shapes within it. And you're like, right. is it a dinosaur topiary? It's really When you mentioned crazy. the highway, it was planted intentionally along highways yeah. for soil erosion yeah. to stop that from happening. And this is what we got. It's so invasive. So she has a whole series of incredible photographs of it having taken over. Wow. Um, they're beautiful, but it can grow at a rate of 12 inches in 24 hours. Yes. 
Kudzu's crazy. Um, But they described it like a terrorist wildfire. Like that's what it can do. And it kills all other plant life. It's a good spark for a horror movie. It is. Is there a horror movie? I know there's a cartoon strip called Kudzu. It seems to me like one, like it could be more like a plot device in some kind of, um, I don't know, outer space movie or, you know, how sometimes they're like, oh, here's an amoeba that does this certain thing and you can find it in this plant, you know, um, that, that it is one of the most invasive species in the world. This cuts you. Yes. So if you needed, if a storyline that needed one of the most invasive whatever. You could base it off cuts. You could totally. It also might be a good way, you know, sometimes in films and things like that, people struggle to find clever ways to show passage of time. (laughs) (laughs) If you could show like how much of that house has been engulfed in kudzu in, you know. Yeah. And meanwhile, one year later, the house is covered in kudzu. That's right. Entirely. I also think that in retrospect, the whole gift from Japan thing also seems like it's a bad joke taken like from from a bad comedy. Like two suitors are trying to get Susan's attention and one of them is like, hey, bring her these flowers. She loves these flowers. <laughs> and then it turns out she's allergic. You know, it's like yeah. a, just a terrible turn of events. But this whole like, give the United States katsu. This is the most lovely gift. This will be a hearty Happy flower. Birthday, United States. <laughs> yeah, like whose idea was that? And did someone have to pay for that decision? Curious. I don't know. Um, another floor down, Tawny Chapman. God, her exhibit was called Inheritance. Our children inherit what we don't resolve. Oh. And I was like, well, there's a provocation right there. I don't even know if I need to see the photographs. I'm just going to sit and think about that. What were the photos? So the photos are exquisite. She photographs her children decorated and painted. It's not just traditional um, photography, but in ornate and gorgeous, like gold leaf, her goal is to evoke feelings of grace, magnificence, and beauty. Boy, does she does that. She wow. does it in spades. She wants to start a conversation about race and the stereotypical way black bodies and people of color have been depicted through photographs versus how she's depicting them. It is so powerful and so beautiful. Wow. It's exquisite. Is every floor right now women photographers, people who identify as women? So far, you've said three women. I don't think they all are. Um, the photographs in the on the oh. top floor, I'm not sure. So some I rock think there's and a roll. Few. Yeah, I'm not mentioning everyone. This oh. is crazy. Oh. I'm, this is a highlight reel. So far, you're hitting the ladies. And I've got one more. Great. Anastasia Taylor Lind exhibit was called Other People's Children. It had her going on an assignment for Time Magazine. She's a photojournalist. Mm-hmm. And she was embedded with New York City families and their caregivers for like five months. Mm. She documented the whole daycare industry and the invisible village required to raise a child, Mm. as they put it. It takes a village to raise a child, but we don't live in a village anymore. So most of the caregivers have children of their own that they can't afford to raise. So they raise other people's children Mm. in order to make a living to try to have their own family they don't have time to see because wow. they're raising the other children. Wow. Super powerful. Like I said, this is just like, I just thought I would give you, here's a quick trip through those um, exhibits. Seven layer spark salad. It's incredible, but this is just 
one visit to Fotografiska. These exhibits will change, obviously, but this is just one, you know, sparks from one afternoon that I jotted down as I went through. Amazing. Um, so all of this got me thinking, do you have a space or spaces that you can go to that stimulate your mind, but also allow you room to reflect, discuss, and perhaps even get creative yourself? Mm. Curious. Because obviously we all need our office, our crafting room, our garage, Andy. But we also need to be among others from time to time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not talking about like just a place to type, like a coffee shop. Those are great too. Or or like the Norwood Club mm-hmm. or the Wing or all of these places that I think are doing a lot to um, engage people. Mm-hmm. But again access to them is, is more difficult. Yeah. So um, I'm talking about a space that will feed your soul, invite you to pour your heart out before you go. And maybe this isn't like an everyday space. You can't, you know, hang out there, but it could be your go-to to get refreshed, to knock some new ideas loose in your head, to challenge you in new ways. Personally, I would recommend having a short list of these places that really do it for you. This is so interesting. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I, because as you're asking yeah. the question, I'm like, I don't know that I have that space. I have one other, I, I didn't write this down, but I have another secret space. Um, the Merchant House on 4th Street. It is. Oh, I know that. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really cool because it is, uh, well, first of all, it's like, I live nearby it, so it's easy yeah. and close. Um, but you see how people lived in the 1700s, 1800s this remaining house. They've preserved it with all of their furniture, etc. And in the backyard, so when the weather is nice, they had a backyard that has a beautiful garden. And in the middle of the city, it's hard to find that. Yeah. So if you go to a visit to the merchant house, which is like $10 for a ticket, mm-hmm. um, you can go sit in you the backyard. You can go sit in the backyard. And I'm always like lit up, of course, by historically, there's always something new that I notice in there or think about in terms of like how they lived at that time. And this was this was a house of wealth and people who were doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you walked through and thought about it in terms of like, oh, hey, me and my partner and maybe our two children live here, this is incredible. But 11 people lived in those types of homes. Sure. And that was that was like the upper echelon, that was the upper class that lived that way. So just an example. But so I have a couple places like that, but Photographiska is definitely going to go on my personal list. So there are places in Photographiska that you can there's sort of like public access That's and right. you can just visit. And then there are places where for the price of admission That's you gain right. access to other And I think that um admission is like twenty eight dollars. Mm which is less than other like museums, mm-hmm. but also membership I think is 150 for the year. Mm. And that includes other, you know, other um, Benefits. events and yeah, things. So, yeah. so, but if you, for, if, when you put it that way, like to have a place where you could go in the hustle and the bustle of the city to like go and have your spark bucket filled and yep. be refreshed and, Let's mm-hmm. face it, use the bathroom. Like these yep. are all that's that is that's not bad. That sounds amazing. Not bad at all. And I think that it's great to know, you know, when you need 
to replenish mm. besides listening to the spark vial. Um, that there are places that you can go or you can plan a regular outing there with your friends, you know? And if you don't have a space like this in your city mm. or in your town, you could create one. You know, I was at Story Gathering with you this year and mm-hmm. I don't think you were with me, mm-hmm. but a young woman came up to me. She's from the South, very, very small town. And she told me that her spark that she was sparking on Mm -hmm. and really wanted to try to make, I think she's a single mom, like Mm -hmm. this is not an easy lift, Mm -hmm. but she wanted to create a space that was a storefront Mm. where it would have maybe a small stage in there and there could be cultural events and Mm -hmm. room for songwriters and storytellers and and she was telling me about wanting to build this space for her community mm-hmm. and for her daughter. And and yeah. I said, that sounds amazing. Do me a favor, just based on her introduction and what I knew about her in a very short conversation. Yeah. I was like, do me a favor. And how about you also keep a little slice of the programming schedule, something so that you in addition to yes. creating space for other people, you also are creating a space for yourself and your own songs and stories. That's right. Yeah. That's essential. But I was so knocked out great. by that spark and that she was sort of like, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to get it done, but I just feel like I must get it done. Well, I think that that's a big, you know, that's a bigger version of this. If you can find the space and you can, you know, find the funding and get that going, I think that is a dream. Mm. But you can also start a salon in your living room. Yes. You know, you can also start with the people that you know. You can be the place where others gather together to discuss ideas. You can consider being the person who organizes a regular outing to a space like Photographiska and then leads a discussion. You know, I I think people are craving it. It's funny because I've been to some Jeffersonian dinners where everyone has, you know, the same conversation. conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not for everyone. Some people will still be like, I've just got to turn to the person next to me and just have my own. But I love it. I love it. You really hear from everyone. You get so many perspectives. And I do believe that people are craving having like a higher level conversation about deeper topics. Yeah. So consider consider being that person that makes that happen and creating uh, the, the person that creates that opportunity for people. I think this podcast is sort of our version of a salon. It is our baby salon. Um, and mostly it's you and me. And then occasionally we've got another maker or two yeah. with us um, to have conversations. But we would always love to hear from all of you. Like we love hearing your thoughts uh, in email, yeah. the ideas that you want to share, what you're creating. Because building this community of artists supporting each other is really important to yeah. us. Yeah. And our dream, I think, is for all of us to be creating, despite fear, despite doubt, despite anxiety, to be sharing ideas with confidence and really pushing each other to grow. You know, we can be together virtually, but we also want you to find a place or create a place in real life. I love this. And it also reminds me of 
uh, the art of dying well spark, one of the sparks I took away from that is how important meaningful human engagement is. And my thought that I think I presented was the idea of having a monthly sort of potluck that's right open house kind of thing that's and right. you throw a little like you throw a little salon conversation oh in my there, gosh and that's, that's and you've got it. it all you got it all if anybody does this if anyone gathers their friends together for a salon type discussion will you let us know i just want to i just want to know i want to yeah. to hear about it I, think, I, really I can imagine that it's of it. one of those things that the first time you did it, you might be like, um, okay, um, I, I, <laughs> so this is it. Like it might, you might be a little bashful because it is more structured. It's right. not just a free-for-all cocktail right. party pizza And I party. think that's why you have to curate yeah. who's coming and, and build your confidence there. Like invite people yeah. that you know who are going to pay attention to the yeah. structure. And then expand as you go. My friend Jordy Coates for years did a, a salon in Brooklyn that they were pretty faithful to. Yeah. Um, and I've always admired it. I think it's a fantastic spark. Yay. I love it. Yay. Good spark. Thanks, Susan. I can't wait to hear yours. Do you want to take a break? I do. But first, okay. I want to say this one last piece, which okay. is, as you're talking, I think it would be, f and maybe the live podcast is this, but like spark salons where we oh do that do this very thing and yeah. then other people can do their own version like well i could see i could see a version like like for example if you and friends went to like photographiska or the guggenheim or wherever and you go your own way and you come back I and you, love it. everyone share one spark that really yes. got them going. What's one thing that you saw that really lit you up? And you listen to each other and engage in conversation. Everybody gets a moment to share, but you also then collect 10 different perspectives on 10 it's different a, sparks. It's almost like the Blue Man book club that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> we're going to take this book. We're going to rip it into 10 chunks. Yes. Everybody read your chunk and report, like go forth, adventure out, come back and tell us what you've seen, heard, read, That's right. felt, discovered. That's that right. That is fun. It's really cool. Good spark. Thanks, Susan. All right, let's take a little breaky-poo. Okay. The spark We're back. <laughs> We're back. Cams. Yeah. I am excited to <laughs> share the spark with you. I'm excited. Um, since we very first decided to do this show and trade these sparks, I just knew that this was a spark that I was super excited to share. The spark summary is, you can create your own spark, and if you have another woman to support you, you can be very, very powerful. Oh, hello. The, oh. the individual at the center of the spark yes. is a little someone that we all know and love, Amy Poehler. <gasps> oh, awesome. I know that people go nuts for Tina Fey, and I totally get it, and it's not a contest, and there's plenty of good sparks coming off <laughs> all the ladies. There's plenty of room for the, all the awesomeness, but for, for me, I am just super over-the-top inspired by Amy Poehler. The things she makes, the things she's accomplished, the way she supports others in things that they make, her own talents cams there's just something about her she is <laughs> such a gifted funny person but she is. reading her book she also has enormous depth and she 
likes those big feelings that we like, those mm-hmm. big visceral feelings. And I think she really leans towards the center of them like we like. <laughs> and she thinks about a lot of the things that I think about. We'll get to some of those later. But she lives in that space that I really love between a poet and a truck driver. <laughs> she's really sensitive and she's also seems super tough. And there's just this air of positivity and optimism that surrounds her work. So without further ado, I would like to offer you the spark that is... Amy Poehler. Mm. Um, Sources of my spark. The majority of it comes from her book, Yes, Please, which was published in 2014. And some of this is from Wikipedia. Thanks, Wikipedia. Thanks, Wiki. Amy Poehler. Don't know her middle name. That's all right. Amy Delano Poehler, (laughs) born September 16th, 1971 in Newton, Massachusetts. Her mom is Eileen Poehler. Her dad is Bill Poehler. I think they're both teachers. Mm. She grew up in what she calls a lower middle class household in Burlington, Massachusetts. Go lower middle class. She was the first child and she uh, has a younger brother named Greg who was born three years later. Amy Puller reported that her first laugh came when she was playing Dorothy in a Wildwood Elementary School production of The Wizard of Oz. Did you happen to catch that production? <laughs> I missed that She one. was in fourth grade. She says it was then that she realized she could decide right then and there what the next moment would be. <laughs> she the power. Could, the power of improv. <laughs> she could try something new. She could go off script and give it a shot. She could say whatever she wanted. So they're doing The Wizard of Oz. It's the second night of their two-show run and during the middle of the storm scene, she puts the dog down and she says, Toto, where are you? And she got this laugh and she has been chasing that high ever since. She says uh, this emboldened her to try out for her senior musical, Once Upon a Mattress. She was cast in the role of Princess Winifred, which was the role originated by Carol Burnett, whom Amy loves. She said that while doing the high school musical, she learned that she loved being in a theater, attending rehearsals, building sets, and that she had floated into the right social pool, Mm. which for a lot of us theater is something we can really relate to. That's right. You find your people. That's right. She said she had already made a decision early on that she would be a plain girl with tons of personality and accepting it made everything a lot easier. Oh my God. Is that the truth So, so much of her writing just, it, it, puts words to these free floating thoughts that and feelings that I have had. Yeah. Which is always such a satisfying thing. Yeah. You know. So she graduated from Burlington High School in nineteen eighty nine. She attended Boston College and was part of the improv comedy group called My Mother's Flea Bag. In nineteen ninety three she graduated with a bachelor's in media and communications, whatever that is. And then she moved to Chicago where she was waitressing and taking classes. And she says it was an awesome time. I was extremely poor and had little to do. I painted my tiny bedroom, Bango, Starry Night Purple. I smoked a lot of pot. I would ride my bike to shows while listening to the Beastie Boys. I was 22 and I had found what I loved. Yeah. And I'm just like, good for you, Amy Poehler. I am <sighs> almost 52 and I'm <laughs> I am just now finding what I love. That's not true. But but I love that she I don't know. I feel like she had some sort of clarity as a younger person that mm-hmm. hats off to you, Amy Puller. This I know this is a sidetrack and I apologize in advance, but just even what she said about like determining early on that she was going to be a plain girl with yes. a lot of personality. Yeah. First of all, she's beautiful. She's beautiful, period, full stop. But I envy, I do feel like sometimes when girls or women make a decision early on, like, 
I'm not going to not chase trading beauty. On my looks. Yeah. yeah, I'm not trading yeah. on my looks. I'm not chasing beauty because you will spend your life chasing it. Yeah. So I sometimes I fantasize about the amount of time and mental energy that gets freed up when you decide that's not for me. Yeah, that's I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to focus on that. Yeah. I mean, she's she's beautiful. She doesn't need yeah. to focus on it. But when she, yeah. when it's like, hey, I'm going to focus my energy on being really great at this, yeah. or yeah. you know, I just yeah. I admire that I do a too. lot. So she's in Chicago, the first Second City show at the famous Second City Theater Improv. The first Second City show she ever saw was Amy Sedaris's last (laughs) show. And that (laughs) cast included Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. So slide into those DMs. Amazing. She was taking classes at the Improv Olympics, which was run by a woman named Charna Halpern. Charna is who connected Amy with Tina Fey. Um, who was also new in town. Thank you, Charna. And taking improv classes Thank at you, Improv Olympics. And SideSpark, I think we need to open up a whole separate Spark file folder on Shauna Halpern. It's amazing okay. what this woman has created. Okay. Well, first of all, she gave us that combo. There you go. But, so, and so much more. Okay. So she, uh, Amy Poehler also took improv classes from Del Close, the famous lunatic improv guru, and from Matt Besser, who would end up being her boyfriend and also co-founder of the Upright Citizens Brigade, along with Ian Walsh and Matt Walsh. And that foursome is known as the UCB4. Wow. That original foursome. Uh, legendary. It sounds like Matt Besser was really just like a fascinating person, mm-hmm. but is also was the engine of UCB. Mm-hmm. And he had the big vision that eventually led to higher visibility creations like the UCB TV show, their book, their school, their theater. They wrote this thing called the UCB comedy improvisation manual. Like they were getting it done. Um, and Matt Besser seems like he was the engine yeah. on all of that. Um, anywho, Tina and Amy auditioned separately for Second City's touring company and got cast together. And they they traveled all over the United States in a van. They got paid $65 per show. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And Amy kept on improvising with all of these people and other greats like David Kackner and Horatio Sands. And it just the... Comic legends, just crazy. Anyway, the Upright Citizens Brigade moved to New York City in 1996, and Amy writes, and I love this, it's easier to be brave when you're not alone. Mm -hmm. We were young and foolish and didn't know what we were up against, thank God. We said goodbye to our friends in our cheap and beautiful apartment in the scary neighborhood. We packed all of our things in my yellow lab Suki and pulled away in a (laughs) U-Haul truck. We had no apartment or job or place to perform in New York City. I didn't really know who I was, but improv had taught me that I could be anyone. I didn't have to wait to be cast. I could give myself the part. I could be an old man or a teenage babysitter or a rodeo clown. In three short years, Chicago had taught me that I could decide who I was. My only job was to surround myself with people who respected and supported that choice. Being foolish was the smartest thing to do. I freaking love it. So good. I love that bravery. And I also love that dawning sense of personal agency. Yes. That I do not wait. I do not have to wait for external opportunity for somebody to give me a chance to play the That's fill in the everything. blank. It's, it's everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have this ongoing conversation with Celia Kinnon Bolger that I don't think I've ever talked about on mic, which is when we were comparing notes about if I've st- sorry if I've said this before, but we were talking about how you can squelt 
to, for the gods and you can kick so high that you kick your own face and you can be a triple threat, but really confidence. Mm. There's nothing, if you don't have confidence, which is hard to come by. That's right. for me. But it sounds like Amy had some of that jazz, which I like. Well, knowing that you can create your your own opportunities would give you confidence, would build yeah. your confidence. So it's like a it's a circle that feeds itself, yeah. you know, because when you're constantly waiting for someone to determine that you are good it's enough punishing. or that you are what they want. You're giving only, somebody else the measuring stick. That's right. Yeah. No thanks. So when she got to New York City, she was making appearances on Conan as Andy Richter's little sister, Stacy. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of them, but it is so funny. <laughs> she's so little and she's just got this mouthful of braces and she, she's usually sitting in the audience and it usually ends with her like running onto the stage and just like wrapping herself around Conan O'Brien. It's Aww. really funny. Um, she waited tables at, the, at that time. She was actually... I think she was actually living near me. She was on the corner of Bleecker and 10th Street by the old Kim's video. Ring a bell. Oh, yeah. I, I just walked by there. Yeah. And I was a little further south uh, down by Murray's Cheese Shop in the uh -huh. Cornelius Street Cafe. <laughs> May it rest in peace. And I knew of Amy's work, but I didn't know her. Um in 1996, she worked as a server and opened the restaurant Aqua Grill down in Soho, which is still down there on we, Spring Street. I may have been served by her there. <laughs> right. Totally. Um, I love wow. this because I want people to hear that, like, Amy Poehler just didn't, like, pop out of the womb as the Amy Poehler that you know and love. She worked. like Also, she, you can have a gig, um, a sometime gig on Conan O'Brien and, and still and be, be serving at Aqua Grill. That's right. That's right. Um Amy wanted to make her living as an actor. She wanted to pay off her student loans and get health insurance. She mentions that her first waitressing job was in the summer of 1989 before she left for college. She scooped ice cream at a place called Chadwick's to pay for her textbooks, which is to say she seems to have paid her way through school and supported herself throughout all of this, which is a huge badass accomplishment. Jumping back, so the UCB. So first it was the group. Mm -hmm. Then it was a show on Comedy Central. It, it aired on Wednesday nights after another brand new show called South Park. <laughs> and their show ran for three seasons. South Park is still on. <laughs> and that's where Amy learned how to be in front of a camera and manage long work days. That group was also teaching improv classes and eventually secured their own theater on 22nd Street. And eventually they moved to that theater on 26th Street under the Gristides. <sighs> I did my first Broadway play at that theater. <laughs> when it was, it used to be the American Jewish Theater, but then the UCB opened and then it got cool. Um, in 2005, UCB opened their first theater in LA. That same year, they shot a one-hour special for Bravo called Ask Cat, which was their improv show. Yeah. In 2008, they launched the comedy website ucbcomedy.com. In 2010, they became an accredited theater school. In 2014, they opened up a new UCB training center in New York City and a big new theater space in LA. And the UCB has really trained some of the greatest comedic performers and writers of our day. Their motto is, don't think, just get out of your head, stop planning, mm. and go. But listen, these are our contemporaries, mm -hmm. and they mm. built really like world class a world-class institution that's right i just think it's that's wonderful right. and whenever um we get cranky or tired i just think <laughs> suck it up buttercup that's right we got work to do we got miles to go before we sleep <laughs> um jump forward to saturday night live 
Amy Poehler, you know I love Saturday Night Live. I really never miss it. I've always loved it. I've never been a hater on that show. I've always been a lover of that show. I found Amy to be so bold and so free Mm -hmm. and so fresh when she was on that show. And she said that she wrote some of her favorite scenes with a writer named Emily Spivey and that they would huddle together on Tuesday writing nights and would try to do what they called a jam out, which basically meant writing something fast and fun. And one of the characters that came out of that was Caitlin, a hyperactive girl with a heart of gold, which is one of my favorite characters I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, just Google Caitlin. It's her. It's Horatio Sands playing her stepdad. And it is, she's just free and delightful. So thank you, Amy Poehler. Thank you, Emily Spivey, for that creation. She also talked a lot about crying a great deal at SNL. This is a quote from her. I cried a lot in Maya Rudolph's office and Spivey's office and in elevators. Some of the crying was from exhaustion or stress, Mm. and some of it was just the bitter burn of rejection. And I just think of you and I, Cams, I mean, I fully like, I will fully (laughs) walk in on you having what we call a broadcast news moment where you're Holly Hunter and it's just stress coming out of your face. Just got to get it out. Yes. And it just, that made me laugh. And there's nothing, just like cry it out and then the clouds pass and then you move on that's right yeah well i think that my life changed the minute i realized like it's no big deal just cry just cry it out yeah you're gonna feel better it's it's not that different than like when you feel like you need to throw up and you don't want to and then you do and you're like i feel so I much better done that an hour yeah, ago exactly um This is a quote from Amy. A lot of people ask me if I knew I was going to be on SNL. I think the simple answer is yes. I don't mean to sound cocky. I don't know if I had the talent or drive. I just had a tiny little voice whispering inside of me. That same voice would tell me I would meet Carol Burnett someday. I would find love. I would be okay. We all have a tiny whispery voice inside of us, but the bad ones are usually at a lower register and come through a little clearer. I don't know where the good voice came from. It was a mix of loving parents, luck, and me. But ever since I was a small child, I would look at places where I wanted to be and believe I would eventually be on the other side of the glass. Yes. There's that confidence again. But there's also something... I don't know. There's something about that sh- that sh- surety and that certainty mm-hmm. about having a personal vision and knowing that you can that you can do it. You can step into the vision. Yeah, I love it. I, you know, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, just like growing up in the Midwest, I had this sensation. And I don't think I was alone of just that, like there was an impossibility to certain things. And I had a still small voice as well. That was very positive, but it sounds crazy to other people. If you say it out loud when you're, (laughs) you know, in Topeka, Kansas. Yeah. And, um, there was just a sensation of like, Oh, that stuff is so unattainable Mm. and so far away. And I got to, again, like, commend her parents because I think that's a lot of it too to for you know for her having this belief system of like it might be far away but I can get there yeah. and I'll be there and that's fine yeah I don't know it's pretty I love it when I read cool. it I was simultaneously I was impressed I was inspired I was a little bit bummed because I don't know that my deserve levels have always been that high or well defined I don't know if I could always envision myself like that especially as a younger person the way that Amy mm-hmm. Poehler is talking about it but 
I like, now that I'm a little older and a little wiser, I think I have cultivated those powers a little bit more clearly. Uh It's it's a, it's a fun way to live. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Jump forward, parks and recreation. Mike Schur was Amy's friend and co-worker at SNL, and he went on to create Parks and Rec, I believe, with Greg Daniels. He described the character. All of this is totally fact-checkable. Just didn't do it. <laughs> so he described the character of Leslie Nope as being the embodiment of the yes-we-can spirit of the Obama election, which I think is a really interesting spark. Yeah. I love that. Um, <laughs> he said, she believed it only took one person to make a difference. She wanted to affect change. She wanted to someday be president. But most importantly, she wanted to turn an empty lot in her town into a park. <laughs> love that spark. Um, Amy said something about her Parks and Rec co-star, Chris Pratt, that I think about all the time, which is, he constantly reminds me to stay loose and have fun. And Oof. I know that seems like a small Penny word sentence. Oh boy. But it is a great thing to have a Chris Pratt living embodiment of that sort of like the reminder to stay loose and have fun. I have to say that working at Blue Man Group for many, many years, those guys are professional clowns. They are loose and in the moment, down to clown, ready to play. Like, I can't speak for all of them, but a good 80% of them any given day. So you're stuck in your like office mode mindset and one encounter with any of them. And you're like, ah, oh, that's right. Life is fun. Yeah. Life is fun. And it's this nice doesn't to have, have people to around be like so, that. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine Chris Pratt would just be yeah. a delight. Love that. Just before we move on from Parks and Rec, she, Amy Poehler cites, I think in her book, she she lists like, uh, she talks about each cast member and she talks about one of her favorite memories from that. Oh, how sweet. Which is so fun. But she cites the Jerry fart attack moment in the Halloween surprise episode <laughs> as the time she laughed the hardest. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It makes me laugh so hard. We're at the Halloween party. They're all in costume and Jerry is having a heart attack and he's having a heart attack and he, it's, I guess, I don't know if this was based in medicine or if it's for pure comic effect, but he has terrible, terrible flatulence. Oh, God. And some of the jokes are some of the funniest jokes I've ever seen on TV. Anyway, check it out. Fart jokes. <laughs> Fart attack. Spark attack. So here's some, here's a tossed, here's a seven bean salad of sparks. Yeah. Amy says she's not great at auditioning. She says she would be nervous and then underprepare and act too cool for school. (laughs) Quote, I would try to reject them before they rejected me, Mm. which was confusing since I had decided to audition and then acted angry to be there, which I completely (laughs) 100% relate to. Um, Regarding Tina Fey, whom Amy describes as her partner in crime and her comedy wife, she says, we don't compete against each other we compete against ourselves. And she also said, and I love this more than I can tell you, Tina shows her love for you by writing for you. Oh, Cams, you have shown your love for me by writing for me. I think I'm going to cry. It's I, I, What a beautiful thing to give the gift of your profound creativity and oh. talent to somebody. 
I have written for you, Sue. You have. It's like, well, what is the point of doing any shows without Susan Blackwell? But especially, but you're sweet. But I'll tell you, when I was like, I can't. This business is too hard. Auditioning sucks my balls. Like, you kept me in the game. You kept me in the game, kid. I'm here for you. There you go. (laughs) Um, Amy's motto has always been. Do work that you are proud of with your talented friends, which I relate to. Mm. My motto has been do work that you love with people that you love and make a shit ton of money doing it if you can. But I, but <laughs> I, so I feel her and she rejects the idea that creativity needs to come from chaos, oh, which I love. also love. Yes. Love, 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 love. love. Um, I'm also deeply inspired by the spark that Amy Poehler has. She's not afraid of confrontation. Wow. She tells the story in her book about being on a flight from New York to Toronto with Tina Fey and Anna Gasteyer on their way to shoot Mean Girls. And there was some business dude in first class who was like tisking them for chatting and laughing. Hmm. When they got off the plane and were headed for the walkway, he pushed past her and jostled her a bit. He bumped into her on purpose so he could scold her and then told her that they had been talking the whole time and shouldn't be in first class. And her, she said her lower middle-class Boston-ness rose to the surface. <laughs> she just leaned back and yelled, fuck you, and then chased him as he tried to get away from her. And I wish oh my I just God. had a little thimble, <laughs> a little teeny tiny shot glass of that, of that. because I think that fighting spirit, oh. I think that is also a little, not, don't go crazy everybody, but just that's a right. touch of that. It's a tiny useful. bit that's like, hey, fuck you. You don't get to, you don't get to scold me like I'm a child. Yeah, but I feel like this next part, I think is a continuation of that. And mm-hmm. I just love it. She goes on to say that what people think of her doesn't bother her like it did when she was younger. She says, that kind of feeling would have been hard to hold in my heart and my stomach when I was in my 20s. It was hard to feel like someone didn't like me. It felt like such a failure. I don't care as much now. It's really great. It's like I can finally eat spicy food without the gut ache later or something similar. I have a stomach for other people not stomaching me, (laughs) or at least I'm working on it. I love that. I love that. I love it. It's so important too, because no, it's not, it's just impossible. Not everyone's going to like you. I know. You better stomach it. I know. I I just, I love it. And it's like so many people, guests, makers that we've had on Makers. I just remember when Sarah Bareilles said, this was after we were done, we had packed up all the equipment and she was like, are you excited? You're doing a podcast. Have I talked about this on here? I I don't don't know. I think so. And and I was like, I'll be honest with you, Sarah Bareilles, I'm so scared they're going to come for us and she was like oh they will they will and i was like huh, huh? and she was like they absolutely <laughs> will and i think it's that cerebral that amy polar sentiment of people's opinions about you it does it just doesn't it's none of your business it's none of your business people's opinions about you are none of your business the only way to not garner some negative attention from people is to be so inconsequential, mm. not do anything yeah. or say anything. Draw no attention to yourself. I mean, really. Make nothing. That's no way nothing. to live. Yeah. Fuck that. She also does this whole fantastic chapter on apologizing, leaning straight into big, heartfelt apologies. Mm. And I've just been thinking so much lately about apologies and other ways of cleaning up after ourselves and closing loops, little loops, big loops. And I made up this new rule, and this is true for that relationships it's yeah. it's true for um 
it's just a side spark objects like if i yeah. buy something at an estate sale or thrift store or whatever yeah if you're going to bring it into your life a pet whatever you've got to be ready to take care of it oh. like I I know that's a weird jump, but it 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 does. It's if you're gonna if you're gonna bring it into your life, you have to be ready to take care of it. I think that might be a real non sequitur. No, I think that makes sense. Does it? It does. It anyway, makes sense to me. Great. Um, but we're also we have gone around the bend. Okay, so <laughs> jump forward again. Okay, I want to talk about smart girls at the party, founded mm. in two thousand and eight. Their motto, Change the World by Being Yourself. It was founded by Amy Poehler, producer Meredith Walker. This is from their website. Amy Poehler's Smart Girls Organization is dedicated to helping young people cultivate their authentic selves. We emphasize intelligence and imagination over fitting in. We celebrate curiosity over gossip. We are a place where people can truly be their weird and wonderful selves. Yes. We are funny first and informative second. Yes. Hosting the party you want to attend. Hell yes. Hell yes. I, wow. So I'm sorry, I'm just like the, giving you a giant Amy hey, Poehler 10,000 foot overview. I gave you a spark salad. Now you're giving me a spark <laughs> salad. It's good. It's a ton of sparks. Did you come to the spark salad buffet? Um, um, that, Susan, that gets me because I, I thought a lot about this um, in my younger years. Uh, you know, somewhere around fourth grade, I would say, um, I wasn't cognizant at the time, like I couldn't articulate why, but in retrospect, girls around that age would stop doing anything when they got together, except like wait for boys to call yeah. um, or what could we do that could get the boys attention or, um, oh, let's ride by that boy's house on our bikes. And it stopped being about like, what do we want to do mm. or be? Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the boys are getting together and they're playing sports or, you know, doing things. <laughs> living life. Living life. Yeah. Right. And I, in retrospect, I just think, oh my God, if you can, if you can reach girls at that critical age and be like, the boys will be there. You will attract <laughs> the boys. Trust me. <laughs> but what if you kept your mind on things that truly interested you beyond that. It's interesting. Yeah. I think I feel like Amy Poehler is on to that yeah. and Smart Girls is all about that. I also think it's ironic that Amy Poehler ended up having two boys. She's raising two boys, which is also a great contribution to the world. That's raising right. boys well. Um jump forward again. I want to talk about Amy's work with Dr. Jane Aronson and the Worldwide Orphans Foundation. Amy met Dr. Jane Aronson at this fancy event hosted by Glamour Magazine. Both of them were being given the Glamour Women of the Year Award. And I would just like to read this passage, which I love. Dr. Jane Aronson and I were at a fancy party thrown by Glamour Magazine when we fell in love. We <laughs> were both given, being given a Glamour Women of the Year Award. This type of award is really nice to win and also slightly embarrassing. It's hard to be surrounded by women who stood up against a totalitarian regime and talk, <laughs> talk to them about, about my experiences writing sketches where a girl farts a lot. Jane had founded the Worldwide Orphans Foundation, which addresses the medical, social, and educational needs of children living in orphanages in over 11 countries. But it wasn't until I heard Jane speak that the abstract idea of her work became real. 
She spoke plainly and openly about how every child in the world deserves the basic things in life, food, clothes, safety, shelter, and love. She was joined on stage by many orphans whose lives she had changed. She cried, I cried, we all cried, and then Bill Clinton introduced Maya Angelou, and I thought to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> Love it. So in 2013, right when she was in the middle of her divorce from Will Arnett, Amy traveled with Dr. Jane to Haiti. Mm. And it had been rocked by that devastating earthquake. Mm-hmm. And on that trip, Amy got rocked by the work that they were doing mm-hmm. there. She goes on to talk about meeting the people and the children in Haiti and how it almost sounds like what I think of as like where the top of your head opens up <laughs> and your, your your world perspective opens up. Um, it just seemed so uh, like a profound life experience for her. And there's this little passage. That night, I read the deeply calm and at times sneakily funny Pima Chodron, one of my favorite writers. And then she quotes Pima Chodron. There are no promises. Look deeply at joy and sorrow at laughing and crying, at hoping and fearing, at all that lives and dies. What truly heals is gratitude and tenderness, which I thought was, uh, there's something about Mm -hmm. Amy Poehler being a girl who can really land a fart joke. And I really think she lives in the space between poet and truck truck driver Mm -hmm. that I love with all my heart so much. Yes. I'm also struck by the diversity of the work that Amy Poehler produces and how high the quality of that diverse work is. As an example, Amy helped make, uh, she co-wrote and executive produced um, Russian Doll. Oh, that's right. Yes. And she also mm. is involved in the making and the hosting of Making It, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a, like a crafting competition. That's right. DIY competition so different these projects yeah, yeah. S- such such different pieces of entertainment both i love so much just love well even the charity work that you just described yeah, you yeah. know the the organizations that she has either founded or gotten involved with it feels like she's living like the full spectrum like if something moves her or moves a part of her um it doesn't have to be the end all be all of everything. This can be a show that appeals to crafters and this can be yeah. a show because it appeals all to these part parts of her. of her. That's right. 100%. That's right. One of the major sparks that I take away from Amy Poehler is about being free and seemingly fearless. Mm. It's that improv background, that swinging for the fences and then apologizing and cleaning up your shit later if need be. She seems to fight really hard for the powers of good and she's not afraid of conflict or people not liking her. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I aspire to all of that. Shit, me too. All of it. Hey, can I ask you a question? Did she talk about fear in her book at all? Yeah. Because like you had just, you just mentioned seemingly fearless. And in so many of our conversations with makers, what we have discovered is like the fear does not go away. Yeah, You simply learn how to work despite feeling fear. She uses these words to talk about Dr. Jane, but I would use these words to talk about her. I think she's a big wave rider. Like mm. I, I just feel like, and even if it's in the realm of entertainment, uh-huh. I feel like she, um, 
yes, there's fear, but I also think she has in many ways mastered many kinds of fear Mm -hmm. is what it seems like to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's just, that's just Susan's hot take, but I feel like that's right. Um, from a New York Times article that came out when they were promoting their movie Sisters, written by Paula Pell and directed by my homeboy, Jason Moore. Even in Sisters, Ms. Poehler said, there's an underlying theme, if you will, about a sense of agency. The message is that you can create your own spark, and if you have another woman to support you, you can be very, very powerful. Oh. Which makes me fall in love with her yet Even again. More. Yeah, I don't like deifying people and I never put people on pedestals yeah. because I don't roll like that. But I have, I really. <laughs> but if I did, no, she'd be close. But I really, there's so much when I dip into, into the pool of Amy Poehler, there's so much that I'm like, I just love it. I love what she makes. I yeah. love the way she carries herself in the world. Yeah. I think. I like all of us. I think she's an imperfect, flawed person, and then she cleans her fucking shit up. Like, yeah, I just, I love it, and I love her confidence, and I mm-hmm. love her. Like, I like that she's not afraid of people not liking her, and I like that she is not afraid of if someone comes for her, she'll come for that. Like, I, mm-hmm. I like it. I like yeah. it. I'm very sparked by it, and I agree. That if you have another woman to support you, you can be very powerful. Lord Camion. Blackwell. And other fine people in my life. That's right. That's right. Very, very thankful. Um, And for all of us to, you know, have the people cheering us on along the way. Yeah, for sure. That's my that's spark. A good and I'm spark. Stick, that's my spark. And I I'm sticking to it. Oh, that's going to be my new sign off. That's, that's my spark. spark. And I'm sticking to it. I'm Susan Blackwell, and this has been... (laughs) (laughs) That's it, I think that's an incredible spark. I think she really lights up um, a lot of things. And I agree. I don't put people on pedestals, but I do think it's so exciting when you do um, discover or meet someone that you can admire, faults and all. You know, it's not not that they're without fault, but... um, people who can inspire you to be the fullest expression of yourself that you can be. Love it. Love Love her. Love it. Thanks, Amy Poehler. Thanks for living it. Thanks for sharing it. That's it. I hope this put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you've taken a spark and you fed it into a flame and you'd like to share that, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our fancy website. We've got a website and that website address is thesparkfile.com. At that website address, we will even take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you've got to share a creative risk that you have taken recently. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, five-star review it. If you like this podcast, it would make a big difference to us if you would share it with yes. people you love. Yes, it would. And if you didn't like it, in the words of NSYNC, bye, 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 bye. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I could get the rights to. That many notes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> if something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You got to scrawl it. You got to draw it. You got to invent a creative factory and totes Andy Warhol it. Stop. Callback, Frodo Grafiska. Uh.
Amazing. You got to take it and make it. Bye, friends. Loop-de-loo. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark files.